0: Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And one of the real joys of what I do here is sharing these amazing conversations from such a wide variety of perspectives. Whether it's a teacher within a school, whether it's a business owner providing educational products for schools, whether it's a non-profit that's actually giving some training for people. It's just so amazing to be able to have these conversations but with that whole focus of being able to have a child first, child centred idea of learning, being able to develop that and also share these ideas. So that no matter where you are in the world, hopefully you'll hear something, see something and, and be able to bring something into your educational landscape that's going to help you. Now, today I'm delighted to be chatting to Matthew Giorgio. and Matthew is an engineer, inventor, designer, writer and entrepreneur. And he's the creator of GoVenture, one of the original and most widely used series of educational games and simulations in the world. Now Matthew's educational programs have reached millions of people around the world through thousands of schools, non-profits, government agencies and Fortune 500 companies. He's the founder of several companies, author of two books and recently launched the world's first and only fully game-based training that offers a faster and more inspiring alternative to college business school. This is a fascinating conversation, it really opened my eyes to really what is possible and how you can affect education no matter what your professional background. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Matthew Giorgio. Hi Matthew, thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Fire podcast. It's always great to chat to people from outside the UK, the podcast is turning into a real sort of global um, listenership, which which is amazing. And I think just the fact that we're talking so much about education, which is about sort of human connection about the ways of learning which don't necessarily need to fit into a certain education system I think is is fascinating but also gives so many people a bit of inspiration that they can that they can take their learning and the way they deliver their learning to the next level so yeah thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, well, thank you Mark I'm excited to be with you. So let's let's start first of all in terms of what does your day-to-day life look like from that sort of learning experience, and, um, and and sort of a little bit of history into the how you how you got there and created that?
1: Sure. Well, my my primary uh, uh, work is creating educational resources for other people, and I focus specifically on educational games and simulations. For so most of my My days are designing experiences for people and working with my team to build those experiences and ultimately market and sell them to our customers around the world. And it's something I've been doing for over 20 years. I started my business back in the mid-90s. I didn't start in education originally, but some of the early work I was getting was in the education sector. And that kind of, uh, you know, one step after another, eventually led us to developing products and and design designing specifically educational games and simulations over the past twenty years.
0: And so, what's your what's your background in terms of that? Is it is it the sort of the, the designing side of it? Is it the the tech side of it? What, where's that passion come from? And, and sort of how'd you sort of focus that within your team?
1: So I grew up in the 80s when uh, video games first were introduced into home. So I was one of the kind of the first generation of video gamers and spent a lot of time on my own at that when I was young um, playing video games. And I think that really shaped how I viewed the world. And that was kind of the first, I think, step. And then when I got into uh, school and eventually university, my background is engineering and, and computer engineering, electrical engineering, I really did not enjoy school at all (laughs) i did end up spending six years in university and i completed my university i was lucky enough to get some athletic and academic scholarships to help me through that but i really did not enjoy the experience and i remember even writing a letter you know back when we used to send letters (laughs) not emails (laughs) if you could remember Uh, that yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) writing a letter to our you know our dean at our at our university saying how uh, you know that i didn't feel like our education was really um modernized and uh you know i experienced that through my my jobs and and other things that i was doing and how i felt that you know that that really needed to change um that's kind of i think what kind of got the ball rolling and eventually started my own company and you know through the the work that we were getting ended up developing educational products
0: and and what was sort of the main the main takeaway you took from that like say in terms of that i didn't enjoy that that traditional setup and what I was doing, and then being able to sort of turn that on its head and actually realize that I can develop something which has a more kind of sort of heartfelt or tangible kind of way that would obviously have spoken to you. And therefore, obviously, you're able to develop that to, to speak to other people.
1: Yeah, I think uh, there's, there's so many aspects of the education that I just didn't connect with, even, even though I did well academically, because I I'm academically inclined, and I worked hard. Um, I didn't enjoy this whole idea of going to a class and sitting to a class and listening to a lecture. And and when I got to university, I actually ended up skipping 90% of my classes. I just wouldn't go to class. Some of my instructors thought I was lazy, but it wasn't that I was lazy. It's just that I felt like I was going to a class and I had literally my instructors were reading the textbook to me. (laughs) I know how to read. (laughs) I don't need somebody to go up on a whiteboard and regurgitate the textbook. I just felt it was so inefficient. And I also felt that uh, we lacked context, right? So you're kind of learning all this information, but not necessarily applying it in a way that you could see the context and how it can help help you in your life. And I just, found, I just felt that whole uh, process was just inefficient and, and generally uninspiring for me. And then when, we, um, when I started my company, one of, a, one of the uh, people that was working with us at the time... Uh, found this DOS-based game, if you remember DOS, uh, this DOS-based game where you could run a hot dog stand. And uh, entrepreneurship was a growing topic at the time. And he said, well, maybe we should develop something that's, you know, Windows-based, more modern of this hot, dogs, hot dog stand. And I thought that was pretty cool. So I, because I, um, I have a coding background, I ended up writing, writing that, uh, the co- coding that product into a new product. And I just kind of ran with it and made it so much bigger, than what uh what we anticipated and it became a very popular and successful program in schools in fact one of the very early kind of games that looked like games but were adopted in in education and then that kind of got the ball rolling for doing more of that
0: and do you think that sort of entrepreneurial sort of approach and and those sorts of things is it People that sort of are thinking in that way, that sort of outside the box, looking for an opportunity or a problem to fix, that they're more likely to to sort of take that route into a, into that way of learning. Do you sort of find there's any sort of sort of parallels with those?
1: I don't necessarily think there's a parallel in that way of learning because I think uh, you know ultimately we, it's experiential learning, whether you use games, simulations, or other methods. Um, experiential learning—everyone can take to it if you're just given the opportunity to kind of experience that type of learning. And once you do, you realize how deficient <laughs> the conventional learning processes and methods are. But I think, as as somebody who's kind of created these resources, I think I go back to my gaming experience as a young person playing games. And you know, to be to succeed in games, you have to um, you have to expect failure. You have to be able to process failure and then use failure to actually succeed because that's what games are about. You, you know, you enter a game, you fail, you fail, you fail, then you succeed. And then the game gets harder and you fail and fail and fail and then you succeed. So failure in gaming is expected and you learn from it. and You realize that's the power of this experience. But education is the complete opposite of that. You know, education is all about not failing and that's a real problem. But, you know, when you have somebody that grew up with games like I did, and I think it wired my mind to not worry about that failure, not, not, you know, not accept things the way they are, but rather look at things the way I think they should be and how they could be better. And that I think also in my engineering background helps with that. So I think from a, from a participant perspective, anyone can, can work well in that experiential learning approach. From a design perspective, I think you do have to have a little bit of a – your brain has to be wired a little bit differently to be able to create these experiences.
0: Yeah, and I loved um I love the way you put that in terms of it's amazing. Children love playing games and they'll do it for hours on end. And like you say, that failure idea is just part and parcel of the fun. You know, it's the way of moving things forward. And like you say that's not what happens within the system and, and and when they're at school so it's not the failing part which is obviously the issue for them it's actually how that comes across and how they get reacted to that and their reaction to it when 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 they're in the school in the school environment isn't it so it's fascinating that, that those two separate things so i can i can really understand that as soon as they experience it in an educational setting but in that different like say environment because it's a game that it just changes everything that their their perception is about What they're able to do, and and, and almost like a a a, sort of a flick of a button, it's it's a different world for them. Despite, like I say, the the end goal is, is the learning.
1: That's right. That's right. I mean, failure is a big aspect of what holds us back from a learning perspective. But you know, if you look at play, you know learning through play, that is exactly, as you've identified, that's exactly how we learn when we're younger. And some at some point, it kind of goes away a little bit because of the systems that we're put into. But the reality is, if we just look at games for a moment, um, and I have some videos and articles on this, all games are educational. And I'll say that again, all games are educational. It doesn't matter whether you're flinging angry birds or shooting aliens or driving a race car in a virtual environment, your brain is always learning. So the question is, however, is what you're learning, is that something you can apply to the real world? And if a game is designed specifically for entertainment purposes, there's probably very little that can be applied to the real world other than some of these fundamental concepts like failure and learning from failure and and that kind of thing. But if you then design the game specifically for learning something, some type of skill, uh, then all of a sudden you can really unlock the power of, of, of games and simulations. But that's the key is that everything we do, our brain is learning doesn't matter if it's doing if we're doing good things or bad things. Our brain is making connections and affecting our future experiences.
0: Yeah. And that's a really important point, isn't it for good, bad or indifferent. If you can understand that we're all doing it, yes. then it's just a question of, of like, say, changing that focus or maybe giving someone a, a nice supportive nudge in, in, in the direction which might be more productive in inverted commas in terms of what we think might be a, right. a better use of their, of their focus. Yeah. Um, so just take us in into into the games that you produce and and the way that they they work and interact with with, with the sort of the education world
1: yeah so we uh, develop all sorts of uh, games and simulations from board games, card games, software games simulations kind of blended concepts that have both board games and technology components to them but and we cover various subjects from business and marketing and accounting and financial literacy investing we've got health products and job interview simulations we've developed developed virtual science labs for other clients in the past Um, but if i just give you an example of one of our more popular ones we have a business simulation it's called go venture entrepreneur and the the premise is that we want to teach you how to run a business and all aspects of business like how to manage accounting and, and inventory and, and customers and employees and all these things that are important in running a successful business which you really can't learn unless you do and so um, you actually uh, start a business and we start with a lemonade stand where you're selling lemonade in a neighborhood so you see a 3d neighborhood you see uh, virtual representations of customers coming to your lemonade stand and and you set the price of your uh, lemonade and you've got different ingredients that make up the lemonade so you can kind of decide your recipe do you know do you want it to be sweet and lemony which customers really like or is it going to be more sour and watery Which is not as interesting but saves you money because your costs uh, are less so you kind of get the opportunity to make these decisions and experience some of the fundamentals of business including like profit and cost of goods and customer satisfaction and then we uh, once you're successful at that we let you run multiple lemonade stands so now you can open up in another neighborhood and you can hire your friends to run those lemonade stands for you so now you're experiencing kind of the mini franchising model you're Uh, You're experiencing employee management and once you're successful with that, then we level you up to a kiosk business where you could sell more products like hot dogs or jewelry or popcorn, you know, a lot of these kiosks that you see out on the street or in in a mall. And once you're successful with that business, we then level you up even further to a super comprehensive business that models common businesses like McDonald's and Starbucks and Subway. Uh, we have automotive service businesses. We're just building a dental practice right now, vet, vet clinic. So you're actually doing all the things minute by minute, hour by hour, just like you would in the real world of running a business. You run it in this simulation. And, uh, and so that's kind of the... Trying to visualize that experience uh, for you, and then make allowing you to make the decisions and experience the consequences. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, I can. I can really see that, and I, and I love the lemonade stand starting point because, of course, there'd be many people listening who who've done that. You know, it's that kind of you know what's what's my first sort of entrepreneur outlet. We you know what can I do, and it's that kind of I can set up in the front garden. I can you know sort of get those. Get get those opportunities going and find out when to do it, how to do it, what's going on in the neighbourhood, and all that sort of stuff. So I think I think it, it sort of works amazingly well from that that point of view. Yes, is it um is it something that people sort of buy into personally? Is it something that you do through a school, through a college? How how does that sort of work from a sort of a practical base in terms of people sort of getting involved in your world? Is it as it were?
1: So it's uh, it's all of the above. So we have our own uh, line of products. Called Go Venture, and it's a series of simulations that uh, that cover the different subject areas. And so, most of our cu- customers tend to be instructors. So you might be an, a teacher in a K to twelve school, elementary, middle school, high school. You might be a university professor. You might be a corporate trainer. And in those instances, you're probably already delivering some type of course. But what you've recognized is that you need to enhance your course in some way, make it more interesting, more engaging, more experiential. Uh, for your students and so you might adopt one of our simulations to enhance your course in that way that's the most common customer we have and we have uh, thousands of schools uh, around the world that have adopted one or more of our go venture simulations in this capacity schools universities uh, businesses and, and including fortune 500 companies and so on government agencies we're using prison systems for inmate education and reentry. Um, And then we do have some individuals as well. So occasionally we would have some people individually would find us and say, hey, I'd like to do this and learn on my own. And we'd make a few uh, sales in that capacity. Um, But recently we decided to actually focus even more on that area because we felt that, you know, with all the work that we do with thousands of schools around the world, uh, you know, we work with great instructors who want to enhance their experience of their students. We find that the system is still moving too slowly. And, you know, university education has gotten so expensive and, uh, you know, unaffordable for a lot of people. Student debt is a big issue all over the world uh, where where school is not uh, free. And, um, and so we now offer a program specifically uh, for uh, individuals. So you don't have to go through a school or a corporate client to use our product. You can actually adopt them individually as well.
0: And, and I love that sort of the global element. I mean, I, I know you're, you're based in Canada, but I guess that the, the business principles of that are, uh, uh, and uh, international it is that sense of like, say, how much is it going to cost? How much can I sell it for? Where can I find these people? And and I guess that's what makes that sort of universal approach. Um, so sort of positive for so many people.
1: That's right. Uh, you, you've hit the nail on the head when it comes to business and financial literacy, investing those concepts, they are indeed universal. Um, we in some of our programs we have uh, customizable currencies, so you can actually adjust the currencies and some of the market demographics and psychographics of customers to match specific regions and that kind of thing. But generally, the principles are indeed all the same.
0: And and I think the other thing about having that ability to do it on your own, like say. You know, the, the, just, just that not wanting to go into a traditional university or whatever because of the, the sort of the funding or whatever that would be. But I think also for that person who's like, I've really got the bug for this and I want to just take it and just run with it in my own way. To sort of feel like literally the world is your oyster from that point of view. I can do this. I can start it off. But, you know, I, I can I can see that whole journey and you can sort of take them sort of step by step as far as they want to go, I guess.
1: That's right. So, you know, with the Internet today, anything you want to learn is available online. Uh, A lot of it's free. The challenge with the free stuff, though, it tends to be unstructured. Um, A lot of people who are doing education online want some live support. They want to know that a human is there to be able to help them. And, uh, And so being able to provide them this opportunity to learn using games and simulations, which we, from our experience, we can teach you 10, 20 times faster in a game or simulation than any other conventional learning method, which means not only are you spending less time uh, learning what you need to learn to you know, get your career, level up your career, start your own business, which might normally take years of time that you're not, in, not earning any income, and in fact, spending money, uh, we can accomplish that in a matter of weeks or a few months at a much lower price point um, and so it gives you that opportunity to not only learn faster and be more engaged but also gives you this opportunity to try things right because a big problem that we have in education as well with young people is that we expect young people to know what they want to do their, with their lives when they're 17 18 19 years old and that's why I think one of the reasons we have such a high dropout rate in university which in some cases is reported to be 30 to 40 percent dropout you know imagine if you spend all this money to go to university for a year or two and you drop out now you got nothing nothing to show for it. now you may even be in debt so allowing people the opportunity to experience a job a career in a very uh, realistic way whether it's you know in the future through the metaverse or through just a, a web-based uh, or a browser or tablet-based game or simulation i think really helps people kind of explore different things so they can find what you know, what interests them so that they can invest more of their time and, and money in that as they go forward.
0: Yeah, and it's very interesting, isn't it that how quickly you have to kind of focus everything that you're doing, because one certainly one of the things about sort of that sort of elementary primary age is that you want kids to experience lots of things, and then they 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 fall into things they find their talents they find things they're excited about and what we then don't do is we don't allow them to run with that because then it's like we've done that now and now we're going to do this and actually now we've covered the two years it's possible for that (laughs) now we're going to focus on two subjects or three subjects (laughs) and like i say and and your career for the next 40 years is and and the irony of that of course is the fact that's just not the case for anybody anymore either so even though we're still peddling it it's actually not the reality for them anyway
1: exactly right it's very compartmentalized right and it's uh it just doesn't doesn't make sense and you know so many of us know it doesn't make sense but the ship is so big and hard to turn <laughs> that uh, you know we still still keep in our old ways and in a lot of ways
0: yeah um, and you mentioned the metaverse there is that something you're I'm oh gonna give away any trade secrets or anything, but is, is that something that you see where you'd like to spend some time where where you'd sort of develop into and do you sort of see some what the real advantages would would be compared to what we're sort of able to experience at the moment
1: yes for sure in fact uh you know the metaverse even though it's very you know the term is very popularized today through facebook and other other mechanisms it's been around for many many years i remember back in 2007 was that like 15 years ago I was in second life i don't know if you remember second life as a 3d metaverse one of the first ones and some people would argue that there's been some massively multiplayer online role-playing games that are really metaverses but second life was probably the first kind of generic and broadly used uh, metaverse millions of people were on it at one time Um, all the major brands uh, that are talking about the metaverse and nft today were in second life for a period of one or two years i did i used to work for ibm for a short period of time and um, after I left IBM and started my business, and Second Life kind of took off a bit. And IBM had a division that was investigating Second Life. They uh, held a first uh, worldwide conference uh, for IBM in the in the Metaverse, in Second Life. And I was the keynote speaker of that. so so we've been involved in the Metaverse for many years, but Second Life, it still exists today. It kind of fell off. After a couple of years, people realized, you know the the, the transaction opportunities, the uh, career opportunities, maybe weren't there. Things were a bit too soon, almost like the internet, right? Everybody went hard in the internet back in the in the mid late '90s, and then we had the dot com crash where people pulled back and then you know and then people started badmouthing the internet thinking oh it's just a fad of course it wasn't a fad it's just this is how innovation happens <laughs> and that's what's happening i think with the metaverse today so i i'm definitely bullish on the metaverse uh, augmented reality virtual reality um we still have ways to go but there's no question that this is where everything is moving
0: and, and i think what you mentioned there is, is really important from a learning perspective generally but that kind of everything is ebb and flowing isn't it it's that kind of we think we're going here but then that doesn't quite work out there's a bit of a roadblock we're going to go here we're going to go there like I say we've gone a bit too fast, so we need to step back but each time you it moves forward you, you get closer to what that is but I don't think there's ever necessarily that sense and now we've got the end version because it's always progressing you know once the internet was around people were using it and it's, it's expanded and it's developed and I suppose there was a sort of a before and and an after from that perspective But in in terms of of what it looks like and how people use it and people's interactions with it, I mean, it's changing on a daily basis, isn't it? And you you only need to sort of look at the number of people who've got their own websites and their businesses related to that, which even sort of, you know, 10 years ago is something that people wouldn't have necessarily dreamed of that they feel like now, with a little bit of sort of drag and drop and and, and a couple of plugins, they can actually get, get themselves going pretty quickly.
1: That's right. We kind of uh, you know when we see a new innovation after a few years, we kind of feel like everything's been invented. I missed the window. And nothing, right? <laughs> well, it's really not true. And we also there's this common saying that we often overestimate how quickly a new innovation will 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 catch will catch fire and go broadly, and but then we underestimate um, uh, a- underestimate in the in the long term. And that's really what happened with the internet. You know, overestimate it. A lot of activity. A lot of money pulled back in the dot-com and there, and now we've uh, underestimated where it's going to go and i think the same thing is happening with the metaverse and and augmented reality it's it's uh, it's going to it's changing every day it's going to continue to change there's going to be new solutions new applications that people never dreamed of uh, existed there's going to be a lot of failure too you know we've seen that with nfts today where you know crazy money is being spent on crazy things and people are saying well this nft thing is crazy because of this crazy money. But we see this in every innovation it happens every time. You know, even in snowmobiles, I remember reading about snowmobiles, you know, snowmobiles, those uh, little mechanical devices that ride on snow, that when, when they were invented, there was like 30 companies making snowmobiles at one point.
0: <laughs> and
1: of course, now there's probably like five or something like that. But yeah, I think it's a common thing that happens with innovation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think in terms of education, I think there's something about the pandemic about, you know, Before the pandemic, you know, the idea of having so many people doing live lessons and everything being online was, was just incomprehensible. And then everybody did it literally overnight out of necessity. And then there was a sense it was always going to be like that. And actually, in reality, now it seems to be people want to get back to what was the norm, but with a little bit of sort of online And, and there's sort of a sort of a gray area somewhere between the two things. And it is fascinating because there seemed to be such an amazing opportunity for everything to be much more blended in inverted commas, but just in terms of Different people and different ways of learning and different interactions. But, like I say, with the systems, certainly in the education space, being so tight and it's like I say, that tanker trying to move, even having been through a pandemic and had the opportunity to do it differently, it does seem to be sort of course correcting back to where it wanted to be rather than having had that opportunity to sort of steer it in a slightly different direction.
1: You're, you're right. There's definitely a lot of course correction happening where people are pulling back. Um, but I think we've crossed that chasm where. There, some of it, there's no turning back. People's expectations, both as students and as instructors, um, and as consumers of education, our expectations, I think, have been changed permanently. And we're now asking questions: Well, why not? Why can't I have more control over my schedule? Why can't I have a choice of going to a classroom-based session versus an online session or a blended uh, blended session? I think we're seeing that in some of the um, in the, some of the universities where students where are now choosing their schedule, choosing their courses based on their schedules, as opposed to what they were kind of required to do uh, or not to. Um, so I think uh, I, I think the the pandemic from an education standpoint, even though it was incredibly disruptive, I think it's uh, in the long term in the long run is going to be beneficial because I think it's promoting that change that uh, was just too slow before
0: yeah and and i think as well it's a little bit of that sense of you expect it to be one way so for example that schools will suddenly all do it differently but i think from my experience of the people that i've been chatting it's just the fact there are now some and there were before but certainly probably more now some brilliant online schools like you say where the personal choice factor comes in there are people that are um are moving around the world they don't they can't go to a, um, a school down the road as it were and they're able to pick and choose what's in person what's online not because the systems change but because the options are there to change and i think the more people who feel they can do it in their own way almost exactly the same as that you're that you're providing it's a sense of I want to learn this sort of stuff and I can actually go and get it and um, you know hopefully people listening will be able to say oh, I didn't know that was even an option and I need support in this particular area that I'm doing I can actually go and find out more about that and the whole thing sort of gradually morphs and expands in a very fluid organic kind of way and that, that's a little bit unsettling for some people because they wanted to say it's going to look like this but I think actually in reality when you can sort of Sort of ease into that then actually you feel much more secure because you know the path is always going to open up the right thing is going to come along you can make it work in your in your way and i, I always sort of say that you know we might want the, the system to change with a magic wand but actually all you can do is your next conversation or your next decision to get involved in a, in a slightly different way of learning and and then that's what changes the experiences around you which hopefully has that kind of you know that pebble in the pond kind of idea of of, of affecting many people
1: that's right, and uh, you, you've talked about choice. Choice is the big driver. Is giving people that choice, and I think that's that's going to happen even more so in a, in in universities where, you know, traditionally all, everyone's curriculum looked the same. Like a business program at one university looked the same as a business program yeah. at another university, unless you were maybe in the top ten percent, top one percent of the of the top brands with huge networks. Um, everybody looks the same, but um, now that they're forced to adjust their curricula, you're gonna see some of those differences, and you're gonna see some institutions saying, you know, we're using an experiential learning methodology, and others using a co op methodology, others using blended methodologies. Uh, I think that choice is really gonna drive a lot of that change.
0: Yeah, amazing. Um, and I'm always interested in terms of someone who's involved in education, but also sort of one step removed, that's kind of foot in a slightly different camp. Is there a, a teacher or, or a learning experience that you had, which um, you remember and has obviously had an impact on you, but maybe also had that slight kind of, ah, oh, this means I want to be able to create it in a different way? And I know, I know you spoke before specifically about that learning at university, but is there, is there a, a particular person or a particular moment that you kind of thought, no, this really, really is going to be different for me?
1: I don't think there was any uh, any particular aha moment i think it was a kind of a series of experiences you know not not liking school even though i could do well in school and playing sports and playing video games and i think that's really what you know life's about it's a series of experiences that kind of guide us to discovering what is we like what it is we don't like and ultimately uh, kind of gets us there. And I, I think the, the the biggest impact is just not liking school. I <laughs> think that was, <laughs> and <laughs> consistently not liking it. Uh- uh along the way
0: (laughs) yeah and i love that parallel in terms in terms of like you said the way you explained your game and everything i mean that's that is kind of business and learning that entrepreneurship idea isn't it it's that kind of i thought this was going to work you know i thought this price point for the lemonade was going to be great and i could i could make it taste like this and it would be fine and then it turns out that the people wanted more sugar less sugar different you know slightly sour or whatever it happens to be so even when you think you know what that is i'm going to cause correct again like we said before and just sort of move it and all those sort of ongoing kind of uh, course corrections uh, are kind of a kind of key. And uh, yeah, (laughs) I love that in terms of the way you've, uh, you have that game set up as well.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it's life decisions and careers and skills. It's all, it's all a series of compromises and consequences. Like every decision you make has a consequence. Yeah, even if you don't make a decision, (laughs) the fact that you're not making a decision has a consequence. And that's what experiential learning allows you to directly experience is if it's designed well, you'll realize that whatever I do, there's gonna be good things that come from it and negative things that come from it. And I have to decide, you know, what what's acceptable and in terms of reaching my ultimate goal. So yes, I could. You know i may not want to raise my prices my customers won't like that but if i don't raise my prices i go out of business so what's that balance so there's always a balance and it doesn't matter whether it's business or you know, some type of nonprofit activity or charitable cause there's always this balance and traditional learning just can't teach us that you have to let people make decisions and experience those consequences
0: yeah experience is such an important thing isn't it and, and it's also why i like it When we talk about the community in terms of, you know, you're obviously in in a school situation, you've got the teachers around you and, and, and the fellow pupils and that kind of thing. But as soon as you start being able to open that up to businesses coming in and conversations coming in and like I say now with online opportunities, you know, you can talk to someone you know, online, in a Zoom meeting and find out so much stuff so quickly, you know, the ability to chat to an author of a book that you've read because right. they're more than happy, you know, a quick DM on Twitter or something and you can sort of set that up, obviously, in the safe and sort of tr- way that you'd need to within an education environment. But that whole thing is just a way of just making such a difference in in such a sort of a valuable way now, I think. Like you say, the, the world is a bit is a much bigger place than, than it ever was.
1: Yeah, you you're, you're having the accessibility of anything you want, anything you want to learn about, anybody you might want to talk to, it's all there, which we never had growing up. Like I ended up taking engineering because I did well in school, even though I didn't like school, I did well in school. Mm-hmm. And my, my days, when you did well in school, you're supposed to go into sciences and engineering. That was just the standard. You didn't go into the arts and other things. But I realized that I should have went into business because that's what I'm really interested in. Um, you know, I still have my engineering mind, and I could still apply my engineering and computer science and so on. But business is what kind of really drives me and motivates me. If I had that experience, that opportunity, I could have maybe enjoyed school more too because I would have been studying the things I would have studied. But I think that's, that's key, is allowing people uh, that opportunity to learn whatever it is they want to learn, talk to whoever they want to talk to, and try to kind of uncover what it is that they might enjoy doing
0: yeah and and i think that's that's the beauty in where learning gets really exciting is i think it's a, sometimes it's a bit like being a parent it's that sense you know you want a soft landing and you as an adult you have not the answers but you do have the experience of knowing where certain things may or may not happen you know what's safe what's not you know you wouldn't let your child you know you know that if they're going to play in the road and there's a car around it might be devastating so you're not going to make them have that situation but you might want them to learn a lesson uh, in in that particular way and and like you said if 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 you could have that situation where you know i'm good at the sciences i could see engineering being my thing but i've got a an inkling there's something here that i want to just explore without getting rid of everything else without sort of right. like to say feeling like it has to be one way or the other way, yes. then you might have got there faster, I guess, or you might have done it in a different way. But then maybe like we said before, there's just it's those sort of regular course corrections that just allow your life to evolve. So I guess there's probably a whole other podcast there about <laughs> how all that fans Yes, for sure. Um and is there a piece of advice you've ever been given which had a big impact on your life? Or is there maybe a bit of in a bit of advice that you give yourself now looking back um to your younger self that would be of uh, of impact um and i guess also i'd slightly caveat this with the fact that we also know that sometimes young people wouldn't necessarily take that advice on board but <laughs> <laughs> I, I also think if they never hear it then they never have the opportunities
1: yes especially if the advice has come from their parents they're not going to listen to it right <laughs> yes <laughs> I, I'm not sure if there's any particular piece of advice that I, I'd gotten that kind of changed my view of things. I, I'm I'm a very experiential person. I need to kind of experience things and kind of come to my own conclusions um, on how things work in life. But uh, I think the you know the biggest thing that I would tell myself is just to try to experience more things. Um, I mean, the best experience I had while I was going through my schooling years. Was I uh, ended up taking a year off school to go work with IBM? IBM had this, uh, here in Canada. IBM had this special program where they'd select a few schools from across the country, and they'd recruit students to leave school for an entire year. It wasn't a co-op program; it was just something that IBM did. So I had to make that choice of leaving school uh, for you know for a year to to do this and and i remember my first day on the job and i hated it it was a terrible job i couldn't believe that i you know picked up my life left school you know traveled thousands of miles to to do this thing and the job was terrible but i was given the opportunity to change the job and by the end of it i did really well and you know it was it was very it was a really great experience where i learned about myself and so i think that opportunity to experience things you know whether you're doing them online, whether you're going somewhere, traveling, um, doing internships, um, anything you can do to experience some aspect of life and career, even a short period of time, I think will form in your mind. You may not learn what you like, but you'll also learn what you don't like. And that's Mm -hmm. often just as good as learning what you do like, right? Um, That's the biggest lesson I would give myself is just have more experiences, um, as many as possible, before you make any big decisions as to what you want to do,
0: yeah, that's amazing, and it's really interesting how how these things happen. That's the second time I've heard in a couple of days that same kind of principle. And the last time I heard it was was someone talking about the fact that you know it's all very well having a grand plan of what you'd like to do. So, for example, like you say, you're taking these courses in the sciences because that's what you want to do, but actually you want to do something else. Or you've got a business, and you know you're married, and you've got all responsibilities. You'd like to get rid of your job and be entrepreneurial and, and do something else um and then there was that kind of but how do you sort of do that and 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 i think their answer was the same sort of thing just experience it but in a way that you can so you know maybe it would be to volunteer in something maybe you just take a free something or you just give yourself the opportunity to find out you know is it what you think it is you know what's the day-to-day feeling of it does it really light you up when you can do it and then like you say that path will open up to you in a way that you've no idea what that is it isn't doesn't necessarily need to be I've left school, I've jacked my job in or whatever it happens to be. And just, yeah, that experiential opportunity just to dip your toe in, as it were, and then just just see where it takes you.
1: Yeah, I actually recently had this conversation with my daughter who is in uh, her last year of high school. And this is the time you start thinking about what's next. And, you know, I said to her, look, I don't care if you go to college, university, I don't care. I just, you know, I want you to be happy with what you want to choose in life. What I don't want you to do is go and spend a lot of money in university trying to figure out what you want to do. (laughs) That's not an efficient use of time and money. Um, Now, when you graduate high school, you can't sit around home and do nothing. So you're going to have to make a choice. Either you're going to go to school and continue your education in some way or you're going to get a job and gain that experience that you and I are just talking about. You're going to get a job or volunteer somewhere. But you have to do something um, to figure out where you want to go in life. Uh, I don't expect you to know where you want to go today. I mean, you, most people are, some people are in their twenties, thirties, and forties, and they don't know where they want where they want to go. But you at least have to do something, and like you say, volunteer, internship. It doesn't matter what it is. Travel. Just do something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's <laughs> it's it's great when you hear those things, isn't it? And you just and I think one of the things which is hard to do, like say. When, it, when it's your child, you can have those conversations in as much as they've seen your life and how you develop and the way you talk in that as well. But even when they know that's the case, so often, like you say, that the, these patterns of what life should look like are so ingrained it's that oh i do feel like that's a good idea but it should be like this or i'm told this by so many other people that actually maybe that's maybe it's harder to sort of take take that sort of decision and i I really feel for young people in in that environment but i think the more they can hear these kind of conversations especially from people who've been successful and people who've been able to create their life in their own way that the more they can sort of feel like no i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a go like i say don't know what's gonna go but i'm gonna go to this country for whatever reason you know the opportunities there or like I say the volunteering, or however it sort of materializes for you i think if you can hear enough of that you start to realize that actually there's a there's a decision and it might just be a decision not right or wrong or black or white it that's just right. is a is one and then see where it goes from there that's right um and as a resource is there something which has had an impact on you and it could be anything from a book a video song film podcast but anything that you like or has an impact that, that you'd like to share
1: I think the biggest impact was uh, you know, video gaming when I was young, the, the Atari 2600, I uh, uh, started programming on a VIC-20 and a Commodore 64. I think those were the resources that had the biggest impact on me. In terms of my current career, there was a book, which I wish I could remember where, where it was and the name of it, it was a book on how to design games. Because I never thought about too much about designing games when I was younger, I, although I did program a small one uh, when I was very young. But um, you know, it's kind of thing where you didn't think about careers in this space because they weren't as common or prevalent as uh, you know, information's just not as successful as it is today. Um, and but that that book gave me uh, insight into the basics of how games are, are made from a coding perspective. And that insight kind of drove, my ability to do and expand on that, so I wish I could remember what that what that book was. I'd like to call the author up or contact them <laughs> yeah. and say thank you, but uh, I can't figure it out. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, I love it, love it. Um, and then just finally, as we as we wrap up, obviously the acronym FIRE is part of education on fire is really important, and by that we talk mm-hmm. about feedback, inspiration, resilience, and empowerment what's the thing that strikes you when when you hear those four words and maybe the 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 one that really sort of um springs to mind first of all
1: uh well actually gaming comes to mind gaming and simulation because i feel like though having that type of experience gives you authentic feedback on what you're doing and how well you're doing it's engaging it's inspirational Uh, those are some of the words we actually use for some of our training is that it's much more inspiring than conventional uh learning but um i think it really comes down to you know figuring out what it is you want uh for your life and pursuing that i I don't like to use the word passion too much i think that's uh a bit too extreme you don't necessarily have to be super passionate about something you just have to have an interest that gets you motivated every day to want to keep doing it and um i think that's that's what
0: comes to mind for me fantastic and tell everyone where they can find out more it's always uh I, I love the podcast because it gives that sense of of the the person behind the website or the person behind the like the game or whatever it happens to be and and that I, I find i find really fascinating but to tell people where they can where, where, where they can find you online so that let's say they can they can get hold of all those resources and information
1: Sure. Well, the best place is my own website because I, I have a number of businesses and uh, have different products from toys and games and simulations and so on. So I I kind of aggregate everything at uh, my website, georgio.com, which is just my last name, G-E-O-R-G-H-I-O-U.com, georgio.com. And I have some free resources there for teachers. I have free resources uh, for individuals who want to learn concepts like accounting and so on. So I um, encourage anyone to take advantage of it.
0: Fantastic. Well, Matthew, thank you so much. It's um, I, I love the, the openness and, and the, the it's, it's like a genuine excitement that comes through from what you do and what you're able to support people with. And um, and there's something light about that, which I, I love from a learning and education point of view, which I think sometimes is missing in that sort of traditional <laughs> learning sense. And like I said, I can understand why that is based on your experience. Yes. Yeah, so thanks so much for sharing with us today. Oh, well, thanks for allowing me to share my story, Mark. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail lighting of a fire.